Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 22. In an effort to wrap up the things that we have learned from Romans chapter 12, in an effort to remind you of a word that we do not use commonly, but that is used in Scripture and given quite a bit of glory, I would like to remind you of graciousness. Some of you could hopefully preach the sermon yourselves. Some of you have never heard a sermon on graciousness, and so I have a mixed audience, and I hope that all of us, including me, will humble ourselves before the Word of God and appreciate the light and the wisdom the guidance that is here for how we ought to live. Graciousness is a wonderful thing. My outline in front of me is entitled The Glory of Graciousness, and I hope that it's glorious to you as soon as I read about one verse here from Proverbs 22. Verse 11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Here's a man that is gracious in his speech, and the king will befriend him, and this is the way to rise among men. And as Christians, we want to rise among men by showing forth the graciousness that he shows toward us. Proverbs 22 and verse 11. Jonathan was a prince himself, the son of King Saul, And when David had finished killing Goliath and David came back and Saul wanted to inquire who this new hero of the nation was, David responded in such a gracious way to him as Jonathan stood there beside him that Jonathan and David became fast friends. And they made a covenant with each other and a covenant that is an extreme example of friendship that you can read about in the Word of God. Solomon was able to know about that relationship between his father and David even though Solomon never got to meet or get very close to Jonathan, he heard about this story. And he knew it by the inspiration of God that graciousness is how one rises in the opinion of men. And that should provoke us right there. Jonathan loved David for his gracious speech and the way he responded to King Saul when it was inquired as to who he was. Joseph and Daniel. Joseph became the right-hand man to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Daniel became the right-hand man to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. Both men because they had an excellent spirit. And that excellent spirit was their graciousness with which they conducted their office. Now both men had no faults that could be found in them at the discharge of their responsibilities but they are, it is also said of them that they were of an excellent spirit, and that excellent spirit is graciousness. Just like David had it, and Jonathan and Saul loved David for a while until Saul became jealous of him. If you wish to be a noble man or a noble woman, if you want to be comparable to a king or prince, if you want to have other men esteem you, it's done by graciousness. God shows himself gracious, graciousness to us. He shows himself graciousness gracious on our behalf, and he demonstrates to the world that he is a gracious God, and we should demonstrate it to the world as well. When I am asked what quality attracts others the most, I will always say graciousness because it embodies so many other smaller character traits that are wrapped up in it. Two men or women that equally fear God will always be ranked according to their graciousness. 
Your graciousness is how you relate to other people. And when young men or young women come to me or their parents come to me and bring up the subject of marriage, it's always going to come down to the degree of graciousness. If I have two parties that equally fear God, then which one do we choose? The one that has greater graciousness that they've acquired in their life. This verse right here, by itself, should make men sit on the edge of their pews and women, because there's more said in the Bible about graciousness for women in some respects than even men, should want to pay attention to what I'm going to say in the next few minutes that we have together. The grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. What causes a man to be so highly esteemed that the king would not only want him as a servant, but would want him as his friend? What would cause a king that in the Bible terminology, and especially in the book of Proverbs, a king is the noblest, wisest man in the nation, why would he make friends with a man? It's for his graciousness. And that graciousness here is specifically defined as his gracious speech. When he opens his mouth, he speaks graciously. And where does that graciousness come from? Because he loves purity of heart. He has a pure heart. All your words come from your heart. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so if we are ruling our heart properly, and we are kind and loving and forgiving and merciful and tender and compassionate and cordial and cheerful and joyful and thankful and all the other synonyms of graciousness in our heart, it's going to flow out in our speech and men will want us around. Proverbs 22.11, you have heard it so many times from me, I have written commentaries on it. I just want to put it before your eyes. I want you to look at it. I want you to say, I want that thing called grace in this verse that would cause a king to choose me for his friend that flows from a pure heart so I know it's a very good thing. I want more of it. Let's see if in a few minutes we can't remind ourselves of graciousness. I love this verse. And I want you to love this verse. It's one of the greatest verses in the book of Proverbs. It's one of the greatest rules for you to get ahead with men. It's one of the greatest rules for you to be able to influence others for the kingdom of heaven. It's one of the greatest rules for you to have a happy family. It's one of the greatest rules for you to be able to marry as high as you can in the Lord. If you're lacking in graciousness, you're going to have to come down the scale of marrying high in the Lord because you're not worthy of those that are the highest in the Lord because you're not as gracious as you could or should be. David and the son of David were examples of graciousness. That's David and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that alone should endorse the subject. When we look at Romans chapter 1 through 11, we see God's grace toward us. And Romans chapter 12 is what we're supposed to do toward others. And it can be wrapped up in one word. It's graciousness. To prefer others above yourself, what is that? That's graciousness. To overlook someone offending you and hurting you, what is that? It's graciousness. To be interested in another person's life so that you're rejoicing with those that do rejoice, what is that? It's graciousness. Graciousness wraps up and summarizes Romans chapter 12 for us. The religion of Jehovah and the Lord Jesus Christ exalts graciousness in our relationships and personal success. The Bible emphasizes charity, gentleness, peace, and unity, among other traits that can be wrapped up in this word, graciousness. Philip read to us this morning from Psalm 112, where the righteous man is gracious, 
And we want to be gracious like that. And Psalm 112 had many benefits flowing to the man who is gracious. Lord, teach us this. Your success in relationships, your success in the world, will come down in great part to your graciousness. You can be technically competent. You can invest lots of capital. But if you do not have graciousness, they're really not going to get you very far. Graciousness wins sales. Graciousness wins men. Graciousness wins promotions. Graciousness wins opportunities that the other man doesn't get because you are gracious. A company can afford to put you out as a point man because you're going to be gracious whenever you talk to their clients or their suppliers or any other relationship they have. They want a gracious man out there. If you can't figure out how to be gracious, then they're going to keep you at home in the back room doing something. They might pay you decently for that, but they can't afford to make you great. They can't afford to make you the friend of the company. They can't make, they can't afford to have you the friend of the CEO or the friend of the king because you're not gracious enough. Let me say one more point about my, in my way of introduction. Your children are going to be desirable for marriage to the degree that they and your family acquire graciousness. This is especially true in a church where graciousness is taught and odiousness the opposite of graciousness, is defined and hated. A lack of graciousness can be a little bit more tolerated in a guy than it can in a girl. It cannot be tolerated at all in a girl. Not when young men have been taught that graciousness is such a glorious trait of young women. And I want to exhort all of us to the seriousness of the matter that we do put forth the effort as much as lieth in us, if it be possible, for even me, for even you, to be gracious. While the motive should be to please God and to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and to adorn His gospel, let's remember that the contribution it makes to marrying well is very serious and very true. Now it's a fact, and I have learned this in my life, That, and by the definition of the terms, you'll understand it here in just a moment, it's a fact that those that are more gracious in this assembly will be the more convicted by this sermon. And those that are the least gracious will be the least convicted by it. And this is why. A gracious person is always sensitive to how they are perceived and relate to other people. So that when there's a sermon on a subject like this, they take it very seriously because they want to be better at it. An odious person, the reason they're odious is because they don't know how to think about other people. They speak first. They say stupid things. They do dumb things. And they offend people. They don't really care about offending other people. So when a sermon comes along like this, they automatically conclude in their self-confidence, I am gracious. I don't need this sermon. I hope everyone else is listening to it. And so those that need it the most, listen to it the least. And those that have it already the most, listen to it the most. I've seen that my whole life. It's amazing to me. But once I understand what graciousness is, and you understand it, you can understand why. The gracious person is very sensitive to always pleasing other people their way. The odious person doesn't really care. They think they've got a handle on how to treat other people, and so they just go merrily on their way, continuing to be odious and lacking in friends. The importance of graciousness. I've already given you this text. I want to read it a hundred times to you. I want to tattoo it on your forehead. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, 
The king shall be his friend. There's two conditions, and the second condition flows from the first one, and the third is the reward and the recompense for the man who keeps his heart pure. If you keep your heart with all diligence, and I, you know, I could list a string of 30 adjectives, if your heart is always forgiving of others, and loving of others, and interested in others, and compassionate, and desiring the best for them, and tender-hearted, and filled with loving kindness and ideas of charity, and interested in them, and wanting to hear what they have to say in a subject, if that's in your heart, it's going to flow out of your speech, the King will be your friend. And I mean the King Lord Jesus Christ will be your friend, and your masters on earth will be your friend, because you're going to win a place in their heart by this character trait the Bible calls graciousness. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Some of you, I said already, I understand, could preach the sermon. But just because you could preach it or because I am preaching it doesn't mean that we're all as gracious as we could or should be. And some of you have never heard it before. It's a wonderful word. Graciousness is the most beautifying trait that a woman can ever acquire. It is better than cosmetic surgery. It is better than any makeup that she can put on her external features. It is what flows from her pure, virtuous heart through a meek and quiet spirit that is loving and amiable and agreeable and pleasant and charming in all her ways that cause everyone to love her. A gracious woman is always loved by everyone. She has all the friends that she can handle. She's highly esteemed. Men and women praise her alike because she's gracious. And so here we are in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 16. A gracious woman retaineth honor. See, a gracious woman, a woman that is kind, a woman that is gentle, agreeable, cheerful, thankful, cooperative, conventional, pleasing, charming in all of her ways, she retains honor. First of all, she is honored. She's esteemed, she's praised, she's considered to be an exceptional woman. And she keeps that. It doesn't go away because she never behaves herself in an uncomely way. She's always doing what is conventional and right and pleasing to people. And this is what we want to acquire. I want the women to acquire it. I want the men to acquire it. Proverbs 22 is for men. Proverbs 11 is for women. So the Lord's got us both. But let's learn this. You know, in, in Proverbs eleven sixteen it says, And strong men retain riches. Let me say this, and I know, I wouldn't say that every verse in the book of Proverbs is my favorite, but I would say that quite a few are, or I would say they're in the top 40 of the book of Proverbs. This is one. Ten words in Proverbs eleven sixteen say so much about a woman, five words, and five words say so much about a man. A strong man retains riches because of his strength of character. He doesn't fall for the things that cost people money. He works hard, he saves, and he avoids foolish investments that take his money. That's just three points because I, I don't want to get off on that. But it's his, it's his strength that retains riches. But in the first half of the verse, it's her graciousness that retains honor. She's always esteemed. She's always loved. She's thought of highly. And every woman, I, I want every woman in this assembly to be this woman. But it takes work to be this woman. And it takes changing things that you may have learned at home. It takes, it, it means changing things that you may have embedded in your personality or in your habits that you need to change in order to be more gracious. What a wonderful text that is for a woman. A gracious woman retaineth honor. This is not Jonathan Crosby's five words. These are the five words of the living God and the King of Israel, the son of David, Solomon. 
He knew more about women than all of us combined and squared. And he says, a gracious woman, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, retains honor. What a verse. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Oh, to be gracious, which is to be charming and kind and courteous and peaceful and cheerful and thankful and gentle and loving and compassionate and interested in others and controlling our speech and being gentle and kind with our speech and complimenting and praising and stroking and all the wonderful things that the Lord does to us every day of our lives. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if we were gracious, people would be thinking the same thing. When you're with that person, isn't it wonderful? Don't you feel wonderful when you're with that person? Don't you feel accepted? Don't you feel secure? Don't you feel warm and embraced? Don't you feel comfortable? That's a gracious woman, always does that to those, and gracious men do the same thing. You know, and all of you men and all of you women out there that are thinking, I don't know if I can pull this one off. That's a pretty big change. Listen, I'll say to you, sometimes I'm a pit bull on crack cocaine, and I feel it inside, and the mounting Mount Vesuvius that's inside of me is a raging torment that's hard for me to rein in. But I'm saying that just to comfort all of you that I look, I look at these verses and I love them. I want to kiss them. I want to tattoo them. I want to, I want to, I have them memorized. But it's hard to put it into practice all the time. And I just want to remind you today with a few reminders to think about this wonderful subject. I want you to be gracious. I want people to come into our church and believe that it's the most gracious church they've ever been in. And that's going to be every component of this church being gracious. I want us to treat each other graciously. I want a gracious family. I want to be gracious to my wife. I want to be gracious to you. I want to be gracious to my enemies. And the Lord wants it to be true of all of us. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. But the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. My brethren, those of you that are quick to speak like me, Many of us, and women, if you're quick to speak, if retorts come flying off your lips, hear the words of the living God. There's a babbler that's been described in verse 11. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. You're a snake with your forked tongue and your darting eyes that just throw out words and hurl words that you should have held back and let them be gracious words. And look at verse 13, describing the fool in the last part of verse 12. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. Now, you say, that that isn't politically correct speech. How can you address a congregation with words like that? That is God speaking to you and me. That is the Lord God, my loving Heavenly Father, telling me that if I don't get control of my speech and learn to use gracious words, I am no better than a serpent that hasn't been enchanted. I'm a snake and a dangerous one. I love these words. Every young man should have the Word of God preached to him like this, and every woman should have the Word of God preached to her like this, so that we can humble ourselves before God because this is what God thinks when you let go with one of your sarcastic retorts. You're a snake. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Notice this verse. The words of a wise man's mouth. Now notice, there are wise men 
and their mouths hold and form and give forth different kinds of words. A wise man. Here's a successful man. Here's a man that pleases God. Here's a man that pleases men. Here's a man like the Lord Jesus Christ, like Samuel, that grew in favor with God and men. He was wise. And how was he wise? He chose his words carefully, and his words were gracious. Because a wise man will guard and rule his speech that way. Or a woman. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Why are they gracious? Because he's wise. That's what we want to be. But look at the second half of the verse. But, in distinction to that, the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. You're going to destroy yourself. Your mouth's going to get wagging, and you're going to say things that are going to break down your marriage, break down your children, break down your job. You're never going to be as great as you could be because you couldn't control and you wouldn't control your speech. The lips of a fool. He doesn't guard what comes out of them. He just speaks. And out comes negative, uncomely, offensive, irritating, haughty, selfish words. There's the contrast in Ecclesiastes 10.12. We want the first part. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. The opposite of graciousness is a word odious that we don't use very much either. And it's in the Bible. We want to know them both. Gracious and odious. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21. For three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. There are four things people just can't stand. And here they are. Verse 22. For a servant when he reigneth. That's when you take somebody from the low class and put him in an office of authority. It shouldn't happen. That's a servant when he's reigning. And a fool when he is filled with meat. You let a fool get gorged on food, and he's going to want to babble. For an odious woman when she is married, and an handmaid that is heir to her mistress. I don't want to deal with the other three right now. I want the one that starts verse 23. For an odious woman when she is married. So, Proverbs 11.16 says there are gracious women. Proverbs 30 and verse 23, or verse, verse 23 says that there are odious women. So there's gracious and there's odious, and odious is opposite of gracious. Gracious is kind, warm, loving, friendly. Odious is obnoxious, forward, discourteous, blunt, bold, unconventional, irritating. And so you want those two words in your mind. Men can be odious just as easily. The word that's used of them in the Bible is forward. When when you're obnoxious, when you're irritating, when you're confrontational, when you're evil, when you're naughty, when you just make people sick and the world can't stand you, you're forward. And we don't want to be that. And you know, every day of our lives and every relationship and every time we open our mouth or every time we don't open our mouth, and I do want to address those people that don't open their mouths. I want them all to know that they are not any more gracious than the man who opens his mouth too much. The person that does not speak and puts us all on the defensive and makes us all uncomfortable because they won't or cannot open their mouths and say something is just as ungracious as the man who says too much. Now, if you don't say anything, men may perceive that you're wise. But men will never perceive that you're gracious because you don't say anything. Gracious people talk because their words are health. It's, It's the words... It's the words of a wise man that are gracious. Not his look, not his silence. 
You can perceive that he might be wise. You know, you're babbling away and he's just standing there looking at you. You know, he may be smarter than you on that particular subject, so you should start winding down the RPMs until you stop. But the man who's quiet is not gracious because it's a burden to the rest of us to try to make conversation or to the woman. The woman who has one word, one syllable, monosyllabic answers to give to somebody, it's irritating. It's wrong. Can't you speak something? And so, see, I just got the rest of you. Listen, I dealt with me first, and now I'm dealing with you. We want to learn how to speak less. If we talk too much, we want to speak more. If we don't talk enough, because graciousness is letting words come out of your mouth that are health. It's not silence. Silence is not gracious. Look at this, Proverbs 30 and verse 23. An odious woman when she is married is something the earth cannot stand. Odious woman should never be allowed to get married. And if all fathers were wise, they wouldn't let their sons ever marry an odious woman. Because she's going to be torment. She's going to be obnoxious. She's going to cause shame in the future. That shouldn't happen. This woman hides her character deformity before she gets married because girls can put on an act when they're courting or dating. I mean, obvious, you know, you only see the guy 10 hours in a week instead of the 168 hours that are actually in a week. So for 10 hours, she can put in a show, but then some poor boy marries her. And as soon as he gets on the honeymoon with her, oh no, what in the world have I done? Well, you didn't listen to the book of Proverbs and you didn't sit in this church and listen because I warned you in this church. If you want to marry wisely, you're going to come to all the older men in this church and say, would you sniff out my my prospective spouse? And we'll just talk to her a couple of times and uh, I can smell odious. I'd stay away. Because the rule of ten is this. She's going to be ten times worse after you marry her. You say, where's that in the Bible? Right here. Didn't you see it? For an odious woman when she is married. It wasn't there. It was only a tenth of it beforehand. But a wise man can sniff it out who wants to save you young men from marrying an odious woman. One more verse, or one more verse for this particular section. Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. I'm not angry at anyone. I'm angry at the fact that by nature we're all odious. What I'm angry about is that we're not as that I'm not as gracious as I should be. What I'm angry about is I want you to be more gracious. I'm angry that this isn't taught as much as it should be. You know, starting in about the first grade, there ought to be 15 minutes a day dedicated to graciousness. You know, in high school it would be graciousness 101. Or in college it would be graciousness 101. And we would be taught. And it would be, we would be indoctrinated in being gracious. To be gracious is to be like God. It's to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to be like David. Lord, help us. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 22. Here's, here's God's description of a woman, a beautiful woman. A beautiful woman that isn't gracious. Proverbs eleven twenty-two: As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. Discretion is the power of knowing what to say or do, and when to say or do it, and how to say or do it. And what is that? Graciousness. Or, without discretion. She doesn't have anything that rules her to say the right thing at the right time and in the right way. She just lets things fly. She just snaps off, retorts with this and that, is snotty, disrespectful, 
insubordinate, irreverent to her husband, to other authorities. Just irritating. But this is the woman. She's beautiful physically. On the outside, she's got the great advantage of being a 10. A fair woman. A 10. But she doesn't know how to behave. She's not gracious. So what does Solomon describe her like? A piece of gold, and it might be 24 carat, but it's only a little tiny piece, and it's right here in the nose of a big, hairy, 2,000-pound, stinking, rooting pig. You say, that's not fair to women. God said it. So you've got this 2,000-pound, hairy, stinking, rooting pig. you got this little piece of gold. The little piece of gold is the fact that she's shaped like an hourglass and is a ten. But she doesn't know how to be gracious. Lord, I wish I could convince all of you young men, find yourselves a seven that's gracious. Find yourselves a six that's gracious. You're going to win. And if you want the list of the ways in which you'll win, come and see me in private. And I'll speak much more bluntly than I am right now. This is the word of the Lord to us about graciousness. As Christians, we want to grow in favor with God and men and be gracious. What is, you know, you've had gracious defined to you once today by Philip when he presented Psalm 112. Let me give some more words. And I've used synonyms now about three or four times. I hope that it's coming through. We should practice and think about this so that we learn what graciousness is. It's the quality of being pleasing and attractive, not outwardly, in conduct. Possessing charming and winning grace, especially in manner. It's your manners. It's how you relate to other people. Of character, likely to find favor. Of actions, winning favor or goodwill. You say, where's that in the Bible? Right here. Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Solomon would tell you that in your life, your professional ambitions of getting a high income are secondary to having a good name, which is your reputation, and having the loving favor of other people. You want to conduct yourself in such a way that other people love you. That other people want to do you favors. That is what 22.1 is teaching. It's more important than your professional ambitions. And I, and I want to stress the importance of it. Right there. Loving favor. And see, graciousness is earning that loving favor because you conduct yourself in a way that people will say, you know, she is such a lovely person. Those words will come out of their mouths when they describe a gracious woman. She is such a lovely person. Well, because she conducts herself in a loving, kind, gentle, noble, classy way. And so many other synonyms can be used. It's being courteous and polite, especially with condescending courteous. It's being merciful and compassionate, possessing grace and moral excellence, and so forth and, and so on. It's all the things that the Bible teaches us. It's being charitable. It's being forgiving. It's being kind. It's being gentle. It's being forbearing. It's being cheerful. It's being agreeable. It's being meek. It's being loving, compassionate, sympathetic, empathetic. Graciousness. You know the Bible has the word forward and the Bible has the word churlish. Who in the Bible was churlish? Nabal was churlish. You know, the opposite of gracious. A gracious person is friendly and warm, not offensive or haughty, always discreet and modest, selfless and serving, forgiving and patient, 
cheerful and agreeable, gentle and kind, courteous and polite, merciful and compassionate, flexible and accommodating, delightfully charming in every way. I know that some of you are saying to yourself, I think I'm most of those things. Well, see, your thoughts about yourself are incredibly dangerous because you don't have a clue about what graciousness is. Graciousness is in the eyes of the beholder. It's in the ears of the beholder. It's never in the eyes or the ears of the speaker. It's in other people. And family doesn't count. You can't go home today, and fathers and, and, and mothers, don't do this, please. Don't get in the car on the way home today and say, Children, do you think mommy's gracious? Well, listen, they want it. They want lunch. <laughs> mommy, you're so gracious. Daddies, don't do that. Don't get in your bedroom at home and say, Wife, am I gracious? The poor woman. What's she supposed to say? None of that counts. I write my proverb commentaries just like I'm speaking to you right now. What counts are your friends. A truly gracious person will have lots of friends. Those people will highly esteem them. Those people will praise them and commend them and mark them out as being gracious. That is the measure of graciousness because other adults are measuring you and feeling warm and accepted and comfortable and lifted up and edified and appreciated, and appreciated, and so they mark you as a person that they like to be around. And so a person that's gracious will have friends that are not just doing a duty, but have friends that want to be in the presence of this gracious person. They will seek that person out. They will pursue that person because to be around them or to have a conversation with them is just pure goodness. It's just candy. It's just delightful because graciousness is being charming and delightful in every way. They have many friends, or they could have. Though they do not pursue friends or flaunt their friends, they're friendly. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 18.24? A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. It's just that simple. Because I want to answer your question, where is that in the Bible? You ask me, where is that in the Bible? The measure of graciousness is by the number of friends. It's growing in favor with God and men. It's finding loving favor, and it's the friendly have friends. If you do not have a lot of close friends that are pursuing you for personal, intimate relationships and love to have conversations with you, it's because you're not fun to be around. You're not friendly. You say, but inside I am friendly. I want more friends. I am friendly. Well, you're doing it the wrong way. Listen. Listen. Instead of defending yourself, listen. You're too unconventional. You're too different. You're too weird. You're lacking common courtesy. You don't have good manners. You're costing yourself. You don't reverence your husband if you're a woman. You don't submit to him as well as you could or you should. You don't conduct yourself like a gentleman. You're not noble. There's reasons for it. If you are not sought out, what in the world made the prince, the next king of Israel, to look at David and say, as soon as this conversation is over, I want to meet him outside this courtroom where David is talking to King Saul. 
And Jonathan's out there and says, My name is Jonathan. I'm Saul's son. What you just said in there was wonderful. I love you. And that relationship to develop, what caused Jonathan to be driven to pursue David? Because David said, I'm gracious. A gracious person never says anything like that. A gracious person never talks about themselves. And when I say never, do you know how often I mean they don't talk about themselves? They never talk about themselves. They will always redirect every conversation to the other person because the other person is the only person that matters. Some of you, let me just say that some men, so that I can be gentle like dearly beloved, some men, every conversation within 15 seconds will be directed toward the person. Some of you, we know that about you. I mean, some men, we know that about them. Any conversation is going to get redirected about them, about their job, about the events in their lives, about their thoughts, about their tiredness, about their health problems, about their money problems, and on and oh, That's the opposite of graciousness. A gracious, per- a gracious person never talks about themselves. They will redirect always to others. You know, some people, they jest because they're uncomfortable. They're not gracious. So they jest. Some people think that if I can get the other person to laugh, that I'm pretty cool and I'm being pretty friendly, but not in the Word of God. The Bible says that jesting and foolish talking is like sodomy. It's inconvenient. Sodomy is inconvenient by an anatomical parts. Jesting is inconvenient because it's the wrong use of the tongue. The tongue is to praise God and edify other people and always with grace. Colossians 4, 6. Some people, instead of giggling, some people, instead of jesting, will giggle. Have you ever met a giggler? You know, you say something, giggle. You say something, giggle. You say, giggle. Oh, okay. I provoke giggling in you. Well, you know, that's just very uncomfortable. We giggle when we're in kindergarten. But we don't giggle as adults. We grow up. We, we, we learn to be gracious. And so we can look at a person and smile at them and say something pleasant to them. Some will mention trivia. You know, they'll pop off with this or that. Oh, who cares? We didn't, did I ask for that? Why did you offer it? I don't care. I didn't want to know that. Why would you do that? Why would I do that? Some will correct. You know, you're telling a story. And you know, you're telling a story. Back there in 1984, I did such and such. No, no. It was 1983. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Have you ever stood in a group of people and someone did that? Someone is telling a story, recounting an event in their lives, and they say 1984, and somebody wants to correct the date? The date is entirely, when I say entirely, what I mean is 100% using all three digits, irrelevant to the discussion. Why did you want to correct them? Because you're odious. You are sitting there and Mount Vesuvius is starting to glow at the top. And because you heard a wrong date given, you're going to jump in and show that you are worth having around. Nobody wants to be near you. 
That's why you don't have friends. Nobody cares. The date is totally irrelevant. And the date is rude for you to make that suggestion. That is unkind. That is obnoxious. That is forward. That is odious. I want to be plain, so I'm trying to use some examples. You know, all those things irritate. Jesting, giggling, mentioning trivia, correcting, they all irritate. You know, odious people are unconventional as they think their opinions about things are better than what the world has already decided. Do you know the world has already decided, and when I say the world, I do not mean the sinful world, I mean the world of humanity has already decided that the way you should eat is to hold a fork like a pencil but turned upside down. To hold it like this is totally unacceptable. I'm just using that as an example. It applies to everything. It applies to what you do with your hair. It applies to how you polish your shoes. It applies to what kind of clothes you wear in whatever setting that you're in. It applies to what kind of words should be used. It applies to how you greet somebody older, how you greet somebody younger. It applies to everything. Society has already determined what is right conduct. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about Hollywood. I'm talking about how you treat somebody else with respect. They've already come up with manners. They've already come up with what is common courtesy. And those are the things that we want to do. We want to do them very well, and we want to do them better than anyone else. Not for the praise of ourselves, but to praise and glorify the God who has saved us and who has taught us that for the grace of His lips, the King shall be His friend. Because I want us all to be kings of the Lord Jesus, I mean, friends of the King Jesus Christ and friends of other men and women that we meet in life. Look at Psalm 45 and verse 2. Psalm 45. Psalm 45 and verse 2. You know, I can't preach the whole subject. My time is running out so fast. I have so much to say. There's going to be an extensive outline on the internet within six hours, 12 hours. The Lord willing, thank you, Brother Mark then you can go look at it. And it's something that ought to be reminded in our families and taught in our families. And checks reminded it. And, and our children pointed out, child, you know, the pastor today was talking about people that talk too much. That is not your problem. So, jury, please disregard his remarks. You don't talk enough. You make people uncomfortable with your monosyllabic answers. You've got to learn to talk a little bit more. Or, you know, you talk too much. You know, women, where is the problem in translation of meek and quiet? I'm serious. I hope every woman is listening to me. What is the difficulty of understanding the words meek and quiet? Does quiet mean, well, God just made me a talker? Psalm 45 and verse 2. This is a, this is my favorite psalm. This is a messianic psalm. This is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. David's heart was indicting a good matter in verse 1. The things concerning the king that he had made. And his tongue was the pen of a ready writer. And here he goes. Verse 2. Thou art fairer than the children of men. The Lord Jesus Christ was fairer and better and more glorious than all the sons of men. And the first description that is given of him is grace is poured into thy lips. Does that fit with the other verses that we've looked at? The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. In, in he that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. 
and we see it wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace is just poured into His lips so that everything comes out are droplets of grace. Can we be like that with everyone? You say, I could use you to be a little gracious right now in your preaching. Point well taken, I'll consider it after I'm done. Right now, I want to preach the Word of God to you in the few minutes that I have and try to make as much progress in your soul as possible. I'm preaching to me too, and everyone knows that I'm preaching to me too. Hey. Lord, I've wanted to be gracious like David all my life. How do you take a pit bull on crack and turn him into a collie? A golden retriever. Haven't f- The Lord has. And He's reminding me right now, and so if you think that I'm just preaching for me right now, that's okay, because I am going to keep working at this great project that's a lifelong project, and for a 56-year-old man to still want to be gracious, there's a problem. And you've got one too. Grace is poured into thy lips. A white... The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Who's the wisest of them all? The Lord Jesus Christ. What was poured into his lips? Grace. And you've already had mentioned to you in Luke chapter 4 and verse 22, and I used it again for the second time today, Philip once, me twice, in Luke 4 in his hometown synagogue, he had sat down and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your midst. And the next verse the whole assembly wondered at the grace of what, that he said that. How do you say, hey, do you know what? I'm the fulfillment of the Bible. That doesn't sound very gracious, does it? The Lord Jesus Christ said it in a way that those who despised him knew that he was incredibly gracious. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? He preached a little bit about election to them and they led him to the brow of a hill to kill him just a few verses later. But he was gracious. You know, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is able to make us gracious. When the Bible says things like it does in Proverbs 22, 11 and eleven sixteen, and Ecclesiastes 10, 12 and other verses that I've mentioned, it should move us. And the Holy Spirit has given us the power to do this. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us the example to do it. He has changed us. Let's keep changing ourselves. Let's ask Him to take us as moldable clay and form us into some, into Christians like unto our Savior. A truly gracious person is going to be other-oriented instead of self-oriented. I've preached that because Romans 12 forced me to preach that. In honor, preferring one another. You're always going to be more interested in others than yourself. You're going to redirect conversations to about them, not about yourself. You won't allow conversations to be about you. You're going to get it redirected, if at all possible. You're always going to be thinking about others, never the ideas that you want to share, and never the things that you want to tell somebody about that's happened in your life. You want to find out what's happened in their life. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 tells us this, that you're supposed to esteem the things of others more important than your own things. You want to be compassionate, friendly, gentle and kind and loving, not confrontational. Some people think that it's gracious to just walk up boldly, just walk up to somebody and ask them some question. There's nothing gracious about that. It's just irritating. 
Why can't you just be loving and gentle and comfortable instead of confrontational? Well, I'm just being efficient. Efficiency is not graciousness. Efficiency is a contradiction to graciousness. You say, well, I'm supposed to be efficient. Well, be efficient when you're by yourself. We don't want you efficient when you're around us. We want you affectionate when you're around us. You can take two people. They both fear the Lord the same. They both love doctrine the same. They could both have the same physical characteristics and features the same. And one's going to be gracious and one's going to be efficient. I'm telling you, there's a real difference. There's a real difference. There's, there's, a, there's a spirit of gentleness and kindness and compassion and softness, even with men, meekness, humbleness of mind are the Bible words for it that are very different from being efficient, from being bold. We know that being bold is a proper character trait of Christians in certain settings, but boldness can also be the opposite of graciousness. You're not bold when you're gracious. You're gentle when you're gracious. Oh, there's so many things that could be said. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, Charity suffereth long. And we just worked down through those 15 phrases about love. The greatest definition of love ever given in this world is one sentence in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. It has 15 phrases or clauses in one sentence. And if you read down through those, that is graciousness. If you're wondering, what is graciousness and how can I be more gracious? Practice with your family. See, your family is where you let your hair down. You know, as soon as you get away from us and you get away from your fellow employees at work and you go home... It's easy to be shorter, meaning less patience. It's easy to be harsher, meaning odious, with your spouse and your children. So start there. If you can learn to be gracious with your spouse and your children or your, or your parents at home, you can learn to be gracious anywhere. If, you, if you're a girl and you want to practice graciousness, I'll tell you how to do it. See how gracious... You can be with your mother. If you want to be a great wife someday, see how gracious you can be with your mother. You say, I don't get along very well with my mother. Why don't you ask me about my father? I'm gracious to my father. That's why I didn't pick your father. In most families, there is an automatic affection with the opposite sex between parents and their children. Fathers and daughters get along well. Mothers and sons get along well. The reason I'm making a suggestion that in 56 years, I'm just trying to come to, to instruct you, if you want to learn graciousness, that woman that is sort of your competitor in the home, I'm talking about teenage girls between the ages of 13 and 19, that woman who is your competitor in the home, you need to win her affection. You need to win her favor. You need to treat her graciously. You need to learn how to reverence her. You will be a great wife. You say, I've done those things to my father. It doesn't count. It's irrelevant. Irrelevant. That won't help you one bit with your husband. You, you arrived in a relationship with your father that is entirely different than your relationship with your husband. You came into this world this big, and he was this big, and he had intimidating power and authority over you. It proves nothing that you think you're gracious with your father. I want you to take your mother and make her the love of your life. I want you to serve her. I want you to help her. I want you to love her opinions. I want you to organize the kitchen cabinets just the way she tells you to. Girl, I'm talking to girls. 
Because, see, there's a spirit of competition between a mother and her daughter when her mother, when the girl's a teenager and she hasn't been married yet. And if she can learn to love that mother and get along with her and cooperate with her and say, yes, ma'am, I'd be happy to do that, mom. When mom suggests that she do something that she thinks is a ridiculous idea, you know, if I had this kitchen, I'd show her how to organize it. A girl can learn graciousness. Can't learn graciousness with your dad and to prepare to be a wife because the relationship between a girl and her father is pretty different than a husband and a wife. But the relationship between a girl and her mother, because there's some competition there, once you're married, you're going to find out that there's going to be some competition there. And in order to humble yourself, you need to learn to humble yourself with your mother. I've enjoyed watching this over the decades. If you're a young man and you want to learn graciousness, I don't care how well you get along with your mother. See how well you can get along with your father. Of course, if you go to mommy, she loves you. Try your father. Make him the love of your life. Talk to him. Open up to him. Oh, yeah, it's so fun. Mom comes into my bedroom and sits on the edge of the bed and pats me and says, did you get a boo-boo on your knee? Well, daddy's not going to worry about your boo-boos. He's not going to kissy-kissy your boo-boo. And so you, you can learn to be a man and to get along with other men by getting along with your father. Just a few ideas for us all to learn these things and to learn and watch and find in the congregation those that are the most gracious. Because in Proverbs chapter 24, the wise man said that, I saw, I looked, I watched, and I learned. When he went by the field of the slothful. So we want to watch the negative examples that we have in our family or in our church, and we want the positive examples because Philippians chapter 3 says to follow those positive examples. Exalt, oh, there's so many things that could be said. Let me make a few comparisons and I'll close. And by few, I don't mean two or three. Charming or irritating? Gracious or odious? Are you charming or irritating? You say, oh, I've never irritated anyone. That's in your opinion. Have other people been irritated by you? Well, I don't know. Well, are they lined up wanting to be your friend and come over this afternoon? If they're not, you're irritating in your own way. Comforting versus confrontational. Walking up to somebody and boldly punching them with a question. Why not walk up and and say something affectionate like, it's so good to see you here today. You bless my heart when I see you. Just a, a totally different approach. Merciful versus critical. Are you critical in the house? Are you critical with other people? Or are you merciful? The gracious person is merciful. The odious person is critical. Comfortable or stressful? If you don't know how to relax, relax or take drugs. Because you put everybody else on edge. I want you to be gracious. I want you to be charming. I want you to be delightful in every way. So, are you comfortable with people? And do you make people feel comfortable? Or do you make people feel stressful? Are you agreeable or opinionated? You say, well, I'm going to take a stand for the Word of God. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about your interpersonal relationships with people. Are you agreeable or opinionated? Are you kind or perfunctory? You go through the motions, you're stiff. Or are you soft and gentle? Are you kind or are you perfunctory? One's gracious, one's odious. Do you smile or are you sober? 
Do you think God's definition of sobriety means you don't smile? Where did you find that? What Bible have you been reading? Or have you been reading the meditations of some monk? Smile. The simplest and the quickest thing a woman can ever do for her attractiveness is just simply to smile. Are you compassionate or businesslike? Are you relaxed or uptight? Are you affectionate or efficient? Are you grateful for correction with simple humility? Somebody comes and corrects you. You're right. I'm wrong. Thank you so much for telling me. Thank you so much for the reminder. Thank you so much for the warning. Or do you get defensive against correction by making explanations or excuses? Gracious or odious? Do you listen with eyes, ears, mind, and body when someone's talking to you? When someone's talking to you, are you right there listening? Or are you thinking about what you're going to say next just as soon as they'll stop talking so that you can let them have some real wisdom? Or are you engrossed in them through body language and eyes and ears and your attention's focused? Or are you, you know, looking over the side and looking at what's going on around you because I don't really care what you're saying. Would you let me speak? That's odious. Do you forgive instantly and fully? Or are you unforgiving or grudgingly so? Gracious person forgives instantly and fully. Are you genuinely interested in another person? Or are you pretty preoccupied with yourself? I've taught all these things. See, I'm, I'm bringing Romans 12 to a conclusion. Do you know how different Romans 13 is? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. We are going into a whole new realm of being a Christian next Lord's Day. I am finishing right now, and I want us all to be gracious. I want to be gracious, and I want you to be gracious. The gracious woman says, you look very nice this morning. The odious woman says, are you ill? You look somewhat sickly. Why would you ever say that? What what wires got attached that shouldn't be attached? The gracious woman says, that is a beautiful dress. The odious woman says, there's a spot on your collar. Ever seen it? Two men walk up to each other with a suit. The man that reaches forward and picks a piece of lint off the other man's suit, watch how he does it. He's an odious man. You say, well, I was just being helpful. You don't know what helpful means, and that's why you don't have any friends. That is just being obnoxious. You say, well, they had a piece of lint there, and I just couldn't think about anything else. That's because you're odious. Why couldn't you look at their face and see how beautiful it was and say, that's a beautiful dress, instead of, there's a spot on your collar. The gracious person says, those candies were the nicest gift. The odious person My favorite kind has peanuts. We don't care what your favorite kind is. That's why we gave you the other kind. Lord, wherever I have ever done any of these, forgive me. I want all of us to regurgitate and get rid of all the filth that comes out of our mouths at times where we're not as loving and gentle and kind and patient, compassionate, sensitive, tender as we could be and should be. Lord, help us. A gracious wife says to her husband, what can I do to help with your hunting trip tomorrow? The odious woman says, why do you have to go hunting every Saturday? If you're ever wondering if the pastor has discretion in the pulpit, he just showed you some 
by not stating what he thinks of that second woman. Mark it on your calendars. Or meet me in the back room so that I can release myself. Any woman that talks that way, that claims to be a Christian, the gracious woman or the gracious man, after getting back from a trip, says, we had a wonderful trip. Thank you for asking. The odious, I threw up on the plane and the hotel was dirty. We don't really want to know that you threw up on the plane and we don't care about the hotel because we're never going to stay in it. Why couldn't you just say we had a wonderful trip? Thank you for asking. Do you understand the difference between graciousness and odious? Am I getting anywhere with anyone? I'm getting somewhere with me. Am I getting somewhere with the rest of you? The gracious person often sends a thank you card later. The odious person hardly ever thinks of a card. The gracious person never gets angry or ruffled or stiff or offended. Odious easily gets angry, ruffled, stiff, or offended. A gracious person willingly participates in a group's events. The odious person shows dislike of the group's choice or withdraws from the group's group. In James chapter 3, the gracious person is easily entreated. When someone needs something from you or me, and they come and ask, that's to be entreated. Children, a spouse, someone in the church comes and asks, do we make them work? By explaining, or in every opportunity where we can, we just give it to them. You know, they already had to work their courage up to come and ask you. Why are you going to make them go through more? Why are you going to torture them to ask you for something? The odious are difficult to persuade, and it's like they want a pound of flesh before they can give you a favor. The gracious person cheerfully greets her husband when he comes home two hours late from work. The odious woman doesn't greet him, complains about it, and punishes him for coming home late because she had supper ready at 5 o'clock. Well, you didn't have good timing, woman, because your husband came home at 7. Well, he's supposed to come home at 5. You misunderstand things. He came home at 7, and that was the appropriate time. Learn to grin and bear it. He learns to grin and bear it with bosses at work that disappoint him, frustrate him, and don't keep their word every week of his life. I'm not trying to run down women. I'm trying to teach submission and subjection with all fear and reverence that wives ought to have. A gracious person in a restaurant is willing to eat French fries when they ordered rice pilaf. Now see, when you order rice pilaf and you get French fries... There's this tendency to think, well, I was right, they're wrong, they're going to make it right. And you know what? You have that right to do that. Because every one of you and I have the right to be a fool, and we have the right to be odious. Do you know what a gracious person does? And I'm not, I'm talking about a gracious person. A gracious person eats the french fries and is thankful for them. You know, the odious person demands her rice and slams the waitress for ruining the evening. A gracious woman cheerfully changes when her husband dislikes her favorite outfit. The odious woman makes excuses, complains, and wears it anyway. A gracious person never interrupts conversations to correct or add facts. Odious women will do it all the time for trivial corrections. It's, it's horrible to watch it or to hear it. I have a particular example that was... 
that I saw in my life, and it's not my father, a particular example in my life that my brother and I viewed from our earliest days, and it was a constant lesson to us about how not to be a husband or a wife, how not to be Christians. It was a constant lesson on how not to be gracious because they weren't. They were the epitome of odiousness, and we're thankful for the lesson, but it's a great grief to have ever met such people and to know that they were Christians and in the ministry. Others will say of a gracious woman, she is such a beautiful and wonderful person. The odious woman, she gets these words. That's Brenda. Try to overlook it. Totally different. You know, a gracious person always turns conversations to talk about the other person. I've mentioned that twice. I know when I repeat myself, soon, soon I will not know. But right now I know. Always turns the conversation to talk about the other person. The gracious person says, I forgive you. Forget about it. I've already forgotten about it. The odious person says, do you know how much you hurt me? Oh, no, then I don't really care. I mean, once you've said you're sorry, why do you have to go through this? Do you know how much you hurt me? Well, do we want to measure it with your utensils in the kitchen or my utensils in the garage? How are we going to measure this hurt? You know, it's just a whole different attitude. May the Lord help us to be gracious. May the Lord help us to say, I forgive you, forget about it. I've already forgotten about it. Much more could be said. Much more will be in the outline. I hope that you'll consider these things. I hope that verses like Proverbs 22.11 are like gold from heaven. They're like honey and the honeycomb. When you read Psalm 19, it describes the law of the Lord being perfect, and it goes on and has other descriptions of it. And it says that it is like gold, yea, much fine gold. And it says it's like honey. And yes, the honeycomb. Proverbs 22.11, is that is it like that to you? He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Let's start with great, with pure hearts and loving purity of hearts, and let's let that flow out in gracious speech. And let's be winsome toward everyone in this assembly, toward everyone in our families, and toward everyone the Lord brings along our path that we might present the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel in as attractive and as beautiful a package as possible. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word to your conversion into mine, that we might be more gracious than we ever have been before.